Well, you guys can have a seat. Good morning again. Caleb, I think you had to say good morning twice today too, didn't you? Because that was, good morning. Hey, right, this is the day that the Lord has made, right? Let us be glad and rejoice in it, amen? Hey, if you are new today, I forgot to mention earlier, uh, there should be a connection card near you. Um, You can uh, fill this out, take it back to the Connection Center after service, and uh, we've got a great gift for you. You can also text GUEST uh, to 412-517-6611, and uh, you can do the same thing on there if you want to do it electronically, and uh, you can take that back to the Connection Center as well, and they'll give you the same fabulous gift for coming and visiting with us today here at Source Church. Uh, It's good to be back today. I want to thank Caleb for uh, stepping in last week for me while I was away, uh, taking a bunch of teenagers out to Hershey, uh, Pennsylvania, for a Bible quizzing tournament. So thank you, Caleb. I heard he did a fantastic job. And uh, so uh, if you would, turn with me, if you got your Bibles this morning, to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, today uh, Jesus is making an important turn in his sermon Uh, that we have called, it's our sermon series, The Best Sermon Ever, right? It's the best sermon ever because Jesus spoke it, not because I'm preaching it today or anything like that, but it's his best sermon ever, his Sermon on the Mount, and we believe that the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus actually gave it many times, but the one where we believe we have the whole thing, right, in the book of Matthew, he was giving on a mountainside, if you remember, beside the Sea of Galilee, and so we refer to this this as the Sermon on the Mount. So in Matthew chapter 5, Today, we're going to look as Jesus begins to talk about relationships. And so in verse 21, again, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and pull them out. If not, it will be up on the screen for you. Verse 21, Jesus says this, you have heard that it was said to the ancients, do not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. He says, but I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother, Racha, will be subject to the Sanhedrin, but anyone who says, you fool, will be subject to the fire of hell. So if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. He goes on, he says, reconcile quickly with your adversary while you are still on the way to court. Otherwise, he may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. So Jesus has been talking, right, on this sermon. And up to this point, he's given us the Beatitudes, right? Jesus has given us some memorable teaching on salt and light, Uh, He's given us um, also what he's talked about, the law, how he's fulfilled it, right? And then Jesus raises the bar on it. And as he raises the bar on it, he starts talking about relationships. And in talking about relationships, he begins talking about anger. Now, there are probably very few people that you know. Sorry, I just realized I had this on. I got to take that off. There are probably very few people who you know that are just like, they're absolute tyrants, right? People who just kind of lose it at the drop of a hat, right? At the drop of a hat, they just kind of lose everything. Now, if they're in the room this morning, you don't want to point at them because they'll get upset, okay? It'll stop the service. It'll be really awkward, so don't do that. But the truth of the matter is, thankfully, there's actually very few people like that. But even if you're not that person, 
even if you would say, you know what, I don't struggle with anger, we know, right, everyone has a button, right? Everyone has a button. I know because I drive with you guys on the same roads in Pittsburgh, right? Everyone has a button. For some of you, if someone cuts you off and hits your button, something happens with a finger, right, on one of your hands. I'm not sure what this is, but I've seen it in the church parking lot, to be honest with you, right? But everyone has a button, some of you, you go to this restaurant, and this poor kid who has their very first job, and they're waiting tables, and they're bringing you their order, right? And, and they think that, that, that everything's just fine, right? They, 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 but, but, but here's the deal, right? They, these, these, these waiters, they, they didn't cook it, by the way, right? They're just the ones bringing it to you. So what they've done up to this point is they've refreshed your beverage. They've done everything that they feel you have asked them to do, and they bring you something that someone else has handed them, and they bring it to you, and you lose your mind because it's not steak, it's salmon, right? And you're like, this is not what I asked for, and where are my mashed potatoes? Please come on. And this kid, by the time you're done with them, right, they're in tears. Everybody has a button, now, I'll be honest, I didn't know how many buttons I had until I had kids, right? I mean, I have got multiple buttons. My wife will attest to this, right? You're like, look, girls, I have asked you 17 times, just go upstairs and brush your teeth so that we can have a loving moment before you go to bed, before you go to sleep, right? And you're like, I need you to go upstairs right now. Now, my wife, she knows my buttons, right? And I know just how to mess with hers, Right? Sometimes it's just good, clean fun. But everyone has a button. Now I'm going to give you one button that I think probably just about everyone in this room has experienced at some time. Right? As a parent, you're getting in the car. Maybe you've just left Kennywood or something. You've got children, especially when they're younger. Right? You're like, all right, hey kids, let's go get some ice cream. Right? This is going to be the Dad of the Year Award. And so we pull into that parking lot right, with those beautiful golden arches. And we're pulling up to the drive-thru, right? And some of you, you know where I'm going with this, okay? Like, hello, welcome to McDonald's. Can I take your order? And like, yes, you can. Right, you got all the kids in the back of the car. You're all loaded up. You say, you know, I would like a hot fudge. And before I can get the word Sunday out, I'm sorry, sir, our ice cream machine is broken. Right, listen, this has been going on since I was a child, right? I mean, what in the world is wrong with McDonald's ice cream machines? Chick-fil-A, they never have issues with their ice cream machines, but it's Sunday and they're closed, and like, I need ice cream today, right? Every single one of us has a button. What's yours? Right, when someone hits your button, you react, and can I tell you that your reaction reveals a condition. It reveals a condition of the heart, now, there are a couple different words for anger in the New Testament, and the one that I want to give you today is the word paragismos, okay? It's the one that when you're just irritated, right? You're mad, you're indignant, you have a, a little paragismos going on, and you all know the word paragismos, even if you're not very familiar with the Bible, because in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26, the Bible says, don't let the sun go down on your paragismos. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Right? Don't continue to be upset with that coach no matter what they did. Don't continue to be upset about the ice cream no matter how bad you wanted it. Right? Don't continue to be upset with your spouse and your kids, whatever it may be. Don't let the sun go down on that. Don't go to sleep like that. But there's another word 
that has the same root word that's the one that Jesus is talking about in Matthew chapter five. When he is talking about anger, Jesus is actually talking about an anger that has settled in your heart. Right? It's not just mad, but it's really mad. It's not just angry, but it's really angry. It's a reaction. It's I'm irritable or something has really settled in my heart about this. And the amazing thing is that as Jesus is talking about anger, look where he begins. He begins with murder. I mean, what a thing. Because everyone knows that's not okay, right? From the person in the back with their arms crossed to the person down front who is all in, he says, you know what? That if you kill somebody, Jesus says, you are gonna be taken to the judge. And here's what's gonna happen is you're gonna be found guilty. And everyone at that moment's going, oh yeah, Jesus, I get that. Right, Jesus, I understand that. And he says, but hang on a minute. He says, I say to you. Now he's just quoted one of the 10 commandments, actually number six. And he's combined it with a passage from Deuteronomy chapter 16 about being found guilty in something. And he's taking the law, right, which he's just raised the bar on a few verses earlier, and he says, but I say to you. Right, so all of you agree with the law, You all agree with what you read in the Old Testament, but Jesus says, now I have authority. He says, I've got authority to take this further. And he says, everyone who is angry with his brother, Jesus says, will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother, Raka, you'll be subject to the Sanhedrin. But anyone who says, you fool, you'll be subject to the fire of hell. Listen to this, this, the same judgment or the same judge that found you guilty of murder will issue the same judgment on you if you are angry, right? If you have anger that has settled in your heart, an anger that says, I'm always gonna be angry about this or I'm always gonna be angry about that or I'm always gonna be angry about that person, right? We all have those external reactions that cause us to lash out, right? That cause us to name call and to condemn. But here's what Jesus says. He says, in your anger... You're killing others, and you're hurting yourself. Jesus says the anger that has settled in your heart will murder them, and it will destroy you. It turns you into a killer. See, anger like this kills relationships. It kills marriages. It kills relationships of every kind. I mean, everyone loses it at some point. But if you don't own it, and if you don't change it, and it becomes your default reaction, you will be killing people and destroying yourself, right? You could be destroying your marriage right now. See, marriage can be destroyed when someone is settled in their anger for whatever reason, right? I'm not validated, or I'm not respected, or I'm not understood, and so instead of getting to the bottom of it, I'm just gonna lash out at you, I'm gonna make you miserable, I'm gonna really, in effect, with my words, I'm killing you, and I'm destroying us. See, anger like this can also kill parenting as well. It can destroy relationships with your kids as your kids grow and they begin to make their own choices and they begin to make their own decisions as a parent, you begin losing control. And you're kind of supposed to be losing control, by the way, but, but as you're doing that, as they're doing that, right, they make a decision, something that you don't agree with. And you're like, you know what, I didn't raise you like this. And so you decide that you're gonna lose control trying to grab hold of control and ultimately you're losing your relationship with your kids. See, you don't have to put your hands on a child to do damage. And sometimes students, right, kids, they do the same thing. A young man or or a young woman, 
You feel completely misunderstood by your parents. Like you have the right to lash out and to unleash the emotions on parents who honestly, they love you, right? They're doing their best that they know how to do. Listen, Jesus is raising the bar on the condition of our hearts because the consequences are so severe. You know, some have said, you know, Jesus is just exaggerating, right? Jesus, he's just making a point here. He's comparing murder and anger. Of course he's exaggerating, is he? I'm not sure he's exaggerating at all, right? Because I have seen, right? I've witnessed, I've been a participant in anger-killing relationships, and, and even in destroying what was, you know, once good and pure and true and holy. For some of you this morning, look, I know that anger has planted down deep in you. I understand, look, you were wronged. You were insulted. Maybe you were, you were cheated on. You were abused. And you've tried to push it down. Right? You've tried to suppress it. Can I tell you that, look, it erupts. And eventually it will erupt completely and you're gonna hurt others and you're gonna be hurting yourself. Jesus' little brother James, he takes it a little bit further and here's what he says in James 1.19. He says this, my beloved brothers, understand this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. He says, for man's anger does not bring about the righteousness that God desires, right? Quick to listen, he says, be slow to speak, but don't let your opinions get settled in your heart because it does not produce the character of God. Look at what the author of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter one. He says this, pursue peace with all men and the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble, and by it many be defiled. Do you see what he's saying here? Right, the writer of Hebrews says that there's so much more at stake here. Right, he says you do not, he says you need to pursue peace with people, and you need to pursue peace with God. He says, because if you don't, your bitterness and your anger are going to send many, many people away from the faith. See, failing to react in the right way and hurting others is always a tragedy. But for too many people who call Jesus Christ their Savior, this has become the norm. Right? We have become angry people in many pockets. We get settled in our hearts, right? Our anger gets settled in our hearts towards political parties, towards pop culture, and we spout off these angry, self-righteous opinions without building any relationships and any trust. We become known more for what we're against than what we are for, and can I tell you something? When you allow opinions to override the gospel, you're participating in the spiritual death of everyone in your wake. You know what I would love I would love if hundreds and just hundreds of Christ followers would just go to their social media, right? Social media of their choice and would just type, I'm sorry. Right? I'm sorry that my political opinion has been made to look more important than the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm sorry that I de decided to spout off about a fictional movie that I have never ever seen to make it sound like God would not love every single person in that movie. Listen, as Christ followers, when we put anything in front of the gospel of Jesus Christ, we become killers. Right, what are you afraid of? Can I tell you something this morning, right? Love is not an endorsement. Right, grace is not an endorsement. 
Mercy is not an endorsement. God Almighty extended it to you that while yet we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't endorse our sin. He loved us in spite of it. And perhaps the Hebrews 12 challenge to pursue peace comes directly from the Sermon on the Mount. So if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. Right, this is not just about pursuing peace. It's about coming to worship in the right way. Because how are people, right, both inside the church and outside the church supposed to view us if we are hang, uh, uh, harboring anger in our hearts towards other people? Right, you can, be, you can be angry, you can be vicious, you can be constantly irritable and negative and still come to worship? Of course not. The author of Romans tells us that we are to be living sacrifices. Our everyday walking around lives are to be acts of worship to God who leads with love. That's how we're supposed to live. That's how we're supposed to react. We're to lead with love. But with that said, there is a time for the right kind of anger with the right kind of motives. And Jesus puts that on display for us. Now some of you at this point in the message, you're excited right now, right? Because you're like, this is it. This is where I can be angry. I knew Jesus did it. I knew it was somewhere in there, right? Actually, towards the beginning of his ministry, his first Passover, John chapter two, it says this, right? It says Jesus actually did get angry. Pick it up in verse 13. When the Jewish Passover was near, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found men selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and money changers seated at their tables, so he made a whip out of cords and drove all from the temple courts, both sheep and cattle. He poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. To those selling doves, he said, get these out of here. How dare you turn my father's house into a marketplace? And his disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. What is he so upset about? Right? What is it that Jesus was upset about? Here's what he was upset about, is that they were charging people for worship. Right? They were required to have the sheep. They were required to have the oxen. If, if you couldn't afford it, you were required to have two pigeons. And so they are gouging people and they're preventing them from worship. So what is Jesus upset about? Jesus has anger anytime someone is prevented from coming to him. Right? Anytime someone has put up a barrier that says, you know what, you're not welcome here or you don't belong here or you've got to jump this hurdle before you can come here. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. He says, I'm not having any of that. In fact, he gets angry with that kind of talk. There's another time when Jesus gets angry. It's on the Sabbath day. Mark chapter three, verses three through five tells us about this. It says, then Jesus said to the man with a withered hand, stand up among us. All the church leaders, right? at this time, are standing around. And they're waiting to see what Jesus is gonna do here on the Sabbath, verse four. And he asked them, which is lawful on the Sabbath? To do good or to do evil? To save life or to destroy it? But they were silent. So Jesus looked around at them with anger and sorrow at the hardness of heart. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. So he stretched it out and it was destroyed. Or er, restored, not destroyed. That would, have been a, that would have been a bad one. So what was Jesus so angry about? Well, Jesus had settled anger in his heart. Right, and he is always angry in his heart when people are less important than policies. 
Right? Jesus always has settled anger when people are treated unjustly. He always is angry when the poor are treated unjustly. Jesus is always angry about sin. But can I tell you the sin that he's angry about? Right? He gets angry about the sin in the church. He gets angry about the sin among his people who ought to know better. He gets angry about how things are going inside the church with church leaders. Jesus got angry at the grave of Lazarus about the culture as a whole. He was grieved by it. He was angry that sin had even come into the world. But listen, God's wrath in the Bible is never self-indulgent or irritable the way that human anger so often is. It is instead a right and necessary reaction. I was raised in the church, and there was great affection for two words. Some of you might, might, might know what these words are, right? Two words were righteous anger. Right, righteous anger, we had such a great affection for that. Right? I can be angry because it's righteous anger. I can say whatever I want because it's righteous anger. Let me ask you about your righteous anger. Does it, does it hit the qualifications? Right? Does your righteous anger further God's purposes or just yours and your opinion? Right? Does your anger demonstrate a trust that God is sovereign and in charge of your circumstances, even down to the smallest detail? Look, don't allow your anger to contradict your confidence with God. Can I give you one last thing about your anger? Right, it has to meet his criteria. Does your anger lead with love? Right, righteous anger is never about revenge. It is never about you know, wishing for harm or anything like that. It always leads with love. 2013, a black man by the name of Brent Campbell was the captain of the track team at the University of North Carolina, Wilmington. And so he was the captain and he was out doing some extra work. He was out on the track practicing when all of a sudden five white guys in a pickup truck, they pull up to the track and they begin yelling racial slurs at him for no reason. I mean, think about it. every word in the book, everything that you can think of. One guy even came back for some extra. Don't know why. We don't know what was going on there. But an investigation started on campus. And Brent said, listen, if you find them, here's what I would like to have happen to them. He says he sat down and he wrote them a letter. It took him 17 minutes to write this letter. And he says this, expression would be the easy fix, but it wouldn't be the solution. The problem is that they have never been in community with black people before. He has only ever seen me. He has never known me. If he truly knew me, he would never have done these things, he says. I know he wouldn't. And if he were to be found, he said, I would ask that, the punishment would be this, to get to know me. That he should be forced to meet with me once a month for lunch or dinner, and this isn't an empty suggestion or to sound caring or altruistic. I mean it down to my core. He said the reality is that knowledge and love have the ability to change a heart more readily than discipline or punishment. What a powerful word. 2015. There's a terrorist attack that happened in Paris, France at the Bataclan Concert Hall. Right, the concert hall had been broken into and terrorists killed many, many people that night. They had killed a woman who was out with her girlfriends at the concert hall. Her name was Helene. Her husband's name was Antoine. And her husband Antoine wrote an open letter to the terrorists and here's what he said. He said, Friday night, you took an exceptional life. The love of my life, the mother of my son, he said, but you will not have my hatred. I will not grant you the gift of, of my hatred. You're asking for it, but responding to hatred with anger is falling victim to the same ignorance 
that has made you what you are. You want me to be scared. You want me to view my countrymen with mistrust, to sacrifice my liberty for security you lost. He said, we are just two, my son and me, but we are stronger than all the armies in the world. He says, I don't have more time to devote to you. I have to join my son who is waking up from his nap. He is barely 17 months old. He will eat his meals as usual, and we're going to play as usual. For his whole life, this little boy will threaten you by being happy and free because no, you will not have his hatred either. You see, righteous anger always leads with love. This kind of reaction, right, this kind of love, it might save your marriage. This kind of reaction, this kind of love, it might save your kids. And when it sinks into your heart and it changes your reaction, it might just save your life. I know a few of the counselor tricks to deal with anger. I've trained in them. You know, if a person cuts you off or you've ordered something different or the ice cream machine is broken, right, you take a deep breath and you count to 10 before you hurt somebody, right? Or you count to 10 before you say what you're really thinking. That sounds so sweet, doesn't it? But while you're taking your deep breath, And while you're counting to 10, would you be reminded, he loves me. He loves me. He loves me. You see, love might just save your life, but in truth it already has. Because the wrath of God was satisfied by the love of God. Was God angry with sin? You better believe it. So God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. See, that's how God dealt with the sin of the world, right? He leads with love and so we can too. You bow your heads with me and close your eyes with me.